Time now for Connecting the Diocese. Connecting the Diocese is a production of the Diocese of La Crosse. Here's host Jack Sosha. Thanks for tuning in, Connecting the Diocese. Well, I don't know if you call this breaking news, but an enterprising thief in England got into a storage area where the Cadbury company was manufacturing some of their 5 million Cadbury cream-filled eggs and made off with 200,000 of them. Folks in England eat a lot of these cream-filled eggs, so I guess he thought they would, well, shell out a lot for them. But the deal turned out to be not quite uh, cracked up to what he thought it would be. Police foiled his plot with the eggs by spotting him on the road with a trailer, and the eggs are now returned to the proper owner. Interesting side note, of the five million or so eggs that they produce every Easter, the Brits eat about two-thirds of them. I thought I had a sweet tooth. We'll be back after this with a special guest just back from India, right here on Connecting the Diocese. This past week, my wife and I got our second shingles vaccine shot that makes it ready to go. Did not get any of the horrible effects that some people claim they got. A little bit of a sore arm for a day, and that's really about it. A small price to pay to avoid getting shingles, as my father-in-law did, and that was a really painful experience for him. I mention this because it's very interesting that the vaccine prevents shingles from developing because it is already inside you. And especially if you got chicken pox when you were a kid, you're a pretty good candidate in your later years in many cases to have that inactive virus that's still in your system suddenly take over and you get shingles. So having the vaccine working on your behalf is a pretty good thing. I was thinking about this, this sounds really silly, but reflecting on some of the really horrible news that's been going on this week, various shootings and stabbings and people just behaving terribly, that kind of like the shingles virus that is in all of us, but is inactive. People have a bad streak. The Catholics would talk about original sin, things like that. But we do have kind of a tendency towards behaving badly and sometimes very badly. And civilization tries to keep it tamped down so that, like the vaccine, it prevents you from just when something bad happens, not flinking into a rage and going out and grabbing a weapon and killing people. Now, where would you find, if you could, a vaccine that would tamp down our worst impulses, are not our greater angels, but our lesser angels. I would suggest to you, especially during upcoming Lent, spend time with community and spend time in church. Spend time around good people doing good things. It's kind of a vaccine against some of the bad things that float through our heads. Try doing it for Lent and just see how much better you feel for having done so. Church and Community, Vaccine Against Despair. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, Connecting the Diocese. Joining us today, Father, just back from India, Father Woodrow Pace, better known as Woody Pace. Father Woody, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. What, uh, just for those who don't know who you are, and there's always new folks coming along, what is your official title at the diocese? Currently, I am, since 2015, director of the mission office, so the Pontifical Mission Society in the Diocese of La Crosse. And for a little more than two years, now I've been vicar for clergy. Which, in a previous show we discussed, you were kind of the arbitration guy. Not that there's trouble going on, don't get us wrong, but if for some reason the priests have questions about whatever, comments about whatever, mm -hmm. 
if they all come to the bishop at the same time or over a period of days, he would have no time. Right, right. He has so many hats that he wears in the diocese. So I'm the representative for him to the clergy and from uh, the clergy to him. So I'm kind yeah, of the, yeah. the go-between, whether it's for good purposes and ongoing education or for, like you say, the mediation and yeah. arbitration, that kind of thing. Now, the Diocese of La Crosse has multiple missions around the world. Can you tell us where they are? Certainly. We have only one diocesan mission, and that's the very familiar mission we have with the Father Joe Walieski Legacy Guild, the Orphanage Casa Hogar Juan Pablo II in uh, Lima, Peru, or Lorin, just outside of Lima. So that's the ongoing diocesan mission. But we have several missions that we cooperate with or that we sponsor through parish connections. So there's sister parishes, there's schools, and other outreaches and ministries, mainly in India, Africa. Uh, there are some parishes that have reached out to Puerto Rico and Haiti. Uh, we also have some domestic missions on Native American reservations and uh, with Catholic parishes in two different states in the United States. Yeah, I, I kind of lump them together simply because we could not have a physical, we did it all mission in 20 different places. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, that's... I don't know any diocese that could do that. <laughs> right, right. They, they would have nothing except doing mission work, and that would be wonderful, but it's a, not possible. But we, we, we chip in, mm -hmm. and other dioceses chip in, and it's a, we're all in, working for the same boss, as they say. And you just came back from India. I, I want to talk to you about that in, in just a, a few minutes, because I'm curious myself mm -hmm. about that. Peru has been just in turmoil for some months now. The, the elected president mm -hmm. is not getting applause, putting it mildly, mm -hmm. uh, and he has now agreed to bring up elections early mm -hmm. as a concession to kind of settle things down. How does this, if it does, affect Casa Hogar? At the height of the turmoil, when the protests were even kind of uh, getting somewhat violent with fires and and. Uh, people did uh, die as a result of the uprising against Castillo, the elected official who had support in the rural areas of the south, but then his policies were not fulfilling promises, so the same people kind of rose up. At that same time, we, we were very concerned because we had the optical mission that was going on at Casa Hogar, so we had a group of people and professionals who were there to help with eyesight and uh, passing out of uh, thousands of glasses, sets of pairs of glasses that people had donated mm -hmm. and uh, were collected over time. And so during that time with our communication, uh, we were always assured that the, the disruption was mainly in the rural south. So it wasn't in Lima and certainly not in Lorene. So as far as our understanding of what's going on, they have not been affected by the, the violence, and so everything is um, continuing as normal. Uh, the optical mission was very successful, and they've returned home now. But it does affect the education of the students. So You would think also there's a, some possibility that some of them may have had relatives in those areas. Correct, yeah. We haven't heard anything about um, family members being directly affected, but I think the disruption of the nation kind of affects the psychology of the people, you know, and these are already children from families at risk, and uh, so the dysfunction is only made worse by the lack of stability in the country. Well, we can certainly understand that from the nonsense that's been going on in this country. I mean, it, it, it gets under your skin after a while. 
It does. Yeah, you get frustrated yeah, and yeah. angry with and, it. Yeah, but <laughs> I was just imagining these people on the optical mission. You know, there's a trouble coming up. And they don't, no, don't, don't shoot. I'm, I'm an optician. I don't care what your political party is. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, that's uh, just, uh, I'm glad they're doing well. That, mm -hmm. You know, that, that is just, uh, there have been stories from the past about these kind of things where there are people who have been able to, because of getting glasses and things like that, mm -hmm. have been able to see for the first time in their right, life. Right, yeah, They've never had time. glasses. Mm -hmm. And as a guy who got mine probably in sixth grade, mm. you know, and you put your glasses, I remember walking home from the, from the eye doctors with these new glasses on, because I, I wanted to walk home, just looking around. Mm -hmm. it, oh, it, right. it, it changes your life. Mm -hmm. And for school kids, it can change their grades because mm -hmm. they can see the blackboard. Absolutely, um, yeah. It has a big effect on any stage of life, I think. And what, where do these, uh, where do these optical professionals come from, from our diocese? Are they all around, or how does that work? Uh, Cindy Solander is the one who uh, works to put it all together. So mm -hmm. she's the optician who organizes it, and she's from La Crosse. Uh, and she brings some professionals sometimes, but most of the people that volunteer to join are the grunt workers that help organize the people in the line and keep paperwork going and make glass selections and hand things to the to the doctors who are uh, testing the people. Anybody who only had like one pair of glasses and you broke them, <laughs> you know, and you put like tape on them to hold them together, right, you right. know how bad it is. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. these people don't have any money to go out and go to optical wonderland and, and order a pair and things like that. Correct, and, and we dispose of our old glasses so readily, yeah. but if you know, we can um, donate them through the Lions Club or through these optical missions, there's a second life yeah. that is affected by it. You yeah. know? So it reminds, reminds me of that thing that uh, was it one, of your, one of the folks down in one of the African countries said to you about if you forgot something, um, we'll show you how to live without it. Correct, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> this is something Imagine living without your glasses. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're one of those people like me who can't see more than three feet in front of you, mm -hmm. put them in a drawer for an hour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and after you bang your knees and bump your head and do all these things, right. now you know what it's like. Now put them back on. Oh, yeah. And what, what does that feeling feel like? Oh, gosh, thanks. <laughs> right. And it's the beauty of creation, too. You know, the colors become vibrant at a distance, and the night is no longer hazardous because yeah. the lights are focused rather than Blurred. blaring. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. That's just wonderful. Again, these are these stories of things that, you know, they kind of go under the radar screen. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much stuff going mm -hmm. on in the world, even in Catholic life and on this show, you know, we, we miss things that mm -hmm. happen, and uh, the fact that it just, um, you know, just works and people get things done. There was this kid in high school, and he had been born with a, a hand that hadn't developed. Mm -hmm. There were just these little tiny, little vestigial fingers, mm -hmm. and he was bemoaning the fact that, for example, he never was able to catch a ball. Mm. He, he learned to work with his left hand. His schoolmates, this is high school kids, 14, 15, 16, very clever. They use computer-aided design, and they have those 3D printers. Mm -hmm. They designed a hand for him. Oh, my goodness. They designed a hand, and they, they put the fingers on. They snapped them into place, and they had it so that the fingers, that his real fingers would slide into them. Mm -hmm. And it worked. Oh. And here's this kid holding a ball. Mm. But, I mean, 
these are high school <laughs> kids by high with classmates, desktop yeah. computers and, and, a, and a 3D printer, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, right. I sat there going, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that reached the news because we hear so much about bullying and yeah, the yeah. negative effects. Oh, it but was just there's wonderful. There's so much goodness out yeah, there, too. Yeah, yeah, The sympathy, and they, they liked this guy, and they wanted to do something for me. Can you imagine mm -hmm. going, hey, we made something for you. <laughs> oh, and then he could grasp a ball. He, he could grasp a ball. He could mm -hmm. play catch. He can mm -hmm. do it. It's just, you know, amazing. Mm -hmm. And they could do it using products in the high school classroom. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that's going on in high schools everywhere mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. uh, Catholic Schools Week was you know, a success, and uh, um, public schools were doing it. Uh, it's just you know, it's stuff we never dreamed of. Right. But nonetheless, right. it was just like, what a cool story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really good. Yeah, that was really, really good. Now, what is our relationship to, to India right now? The relationship we have is really a personal one um, through priests. So we do have kind of a dependence on missionaries who serve within our diocese. And in fact, from the foundation of the diocese, we've never had a period where there has not been a dependence on missionaries, religious orders, uh, other groups of priests who come in to help serve the people. And now that looks like uh, our uh, invitation to uh, priests from various dioceses and religious orders around the world. So right now we have some priests from Ghana in West Africa, and, but the majority are from India. So uh, the, the priests that are with us now are from the southern part of India, and all of them right now are from the state of Tamil Nadu. Uh, so the diocesan priests that are here uh, speak one language, um, Tamil, and uh, come from I think five different dioceses in, uh, in the state of Tamil in southern India. Then we also have uh, missionaries of St. Francis de Sales priests. So their MSFS uh, is kind of the, an acronym for their order. And they uh, are missionaries uh, that are sent around the world. So they have um, their provinces that are represented for us are in northeastern India. So we have two provinces in the northeastern part of the country, and they have four priests with us in the diocese. They come to serve as associates, as pastors, as priests. Uh, they can serve also in hospitals. So uh, Sacred Heart St. Joseph in the Eau Claire Chippewa area, the chaplain is from uh, India, from Tamil Nadu. So, and they're beloved in our diocese. They are. They're very much appreciated. Um, I know we appreciate them on a diocesan level for their um, generous service, but also their vision of the universal church. So the fact that uh, Catholic church is so strong in, in southern India especially um, is kind of a revelation for us. You know, India is a predominantly Hindu country, and there are also... Uh, many Muslims, so the Islamic influence is there, and the Catholic influence is the uh, small minority, but it's a it's a strong representation within the country. Yeah, it is really when you think about it. I'm going to ask you in a minute what you were doing there, you know. But also, um, we we are seeing in, in many countries a rise of. Uh, I don't know what the term is, religious nationalism, where the the indigenous religion. In, in India, it would be mostly Hinduism. Uh, it starts feeling a little bit like there should be an exclusive club. 
And uh, I know that I've heard stories in, in some areas where, you know, there were different wells where the Hindus could use and non-Hindus couldn't and things like that, which begs the question, here you are in the middle of a Hindu country and with, with some, you know, great scholars, I mean, in, in, in India, I mean, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the Ramakrishna and all these people were, were notable. Uh, so it isn't like, you know, there, there are no great thinkers in, in, in Hinduism. But regardless of that, it's a strong, strong influence. And what would possess a young man living in a Hindu country with a, a minor Muslim tradition as well, which causes some friction back and forth, mm -hmm. Watching Bollywood movies, <laughs> what would cause them to say, you know, I think I want to be a Catholic priest? Right, right. That's a very good question. I think anywhere in the world, but there, I did have a chance to ask that question. Um, in as I arrived uh, in Tamil Nadu, I landed in Chennai, and then immediately got on another flight with uh, Father Valentine, who was a pastor at uh, Our Lady Queen of Heaven in, in Wisconsin Rapids until uh, recently. So he was my main host and we got on a flight to Tutikorin, uh, another city where the Tamil Bishops Conference was happening. And they were being served by seminarians. So the seminarians were kind of on staff for that duration of the conference to help serve the meals and uh, to uh, make sure that the bishops were comfortable. So I had a chance to ask them, what caused you to consider uh, the priesthood? And their, their answer predominantly was that they had a, a good example from a pastor themselves. So they saw that uh, a priest was happy that he was uh, energetic and, and served well. So I think that personal uh, example is something that inspired them. Uh, and then they also wanted to be in service to the church. They, uh, I think um, India, because of the Hindu influence, is a very devotional church. So uh, the public displays of faith and the um, the gatherings of people, you know, if there's a parish festival, it's typically 2,000 people coming together. And that enthused the, uh, the young boys who later, you know, became uh, the age of uh, high school and college education. And, and so they wanted to be not only part of that enthusiasm of a devotional life, but a leader within it as a priest, according to the heart of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that you mentioned that uh, they saw the example of another priest. Mm. That seems to be almost a universal thing. Mm -hmm. um, and this, you know, it, this is why it's important to, to, well, number one, if you've got young people in your family, go to Mass mm. to, to, oh, to, yeah. to see people working in the church and what they do, mm -hmm. that they're not some abstract concept somewhere, that they're, mm -hmm. look at this, what, oh, that's kind of neat. <laughs> that, you know, I mean, really, this is, again, as I've said so many times, this is what makes me having this show so much fun. Because, mm -hmm. I, gee, I see what great stuff gets done mm -hmm. by priests, by religious, by, by deacons and volunteers and everybody. Uh, and you get to see good people doing good stuff. And certain right, number one right. of you listening will say, you know, I really like that. And I'm this young guy or not so young guy, and I've been thinking about this for a long time. And, well, you know, there's people we can put you in touch with <laughs> about that. <laughs> right. And uh, there's even programs now we have in our diocesan center where, 
for pre-seminarians mm -hmm. to really get an idea of well, this is this is what you're looking into, and we, you know, we want you to understand that you know it isn't all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that you know, there's a lot of work involved and a lot of stuff involved. And want to make sure you don't just have kind of a, a, a TV version. Right, of right. what's going on. And, and or just an intellectual version. So I, I mm. remember telling the seminarians, both in the diocesan seminary as well as we had a chance in the Northeast to meet with the religious order seminarians for missionaries of St. Francis de Sales, that their education is something that we're working towards. Mm -hmm. Ours is predominantly academic with four years of philosophy, four years of theology the pressures are coming from Rome to make it more well-rounded. So they have three years of philosophy, three years of theology, but they have one year of uh, spiritual formation and discernment, and then they have one year of uh, pastoral experience in the parish. And then as a deacon, they don't uh, continue with the academic formation once they're ordained deacons. They have only parish experience until priesthood ordination. Sure. So we're kind of going towards that, and as you said, our, our own discernment program, yeah. the journeymen, uh, have done remarkably well in applying their uh, desires and prayer for that one year of discernment. Now that we have some more equipment here, um, and the weather is better, I'm looking forward to coming in. We can hook up now quite a few microphones if we need to. And I'm looking forward to getting some of them in here as a oh, group to, yep. to chat you know, and see what they're talking about. And, and they love to talk. So. I'm sure they do. <laughs> but uh, we'll be doing that as, as time goes by. We're having a lot of fun expanding the nature of not just the show, but of, the, of our abilities. Mm. Where we can, go on, we can go on the road, Eric can go on the road and connect, help me connect with somebody. Things like that, mm -hmm. that's making this very nice. So we'll be doing some more of that as well. You mentioned that uh, there was a conference. What was this conference about? Uh, the, it was an annual conference for uh, the state of Tamil Nadu. So there's, I believe, 21 different dioceses in that particular state, and they all speak the same language. So there's a bishop's conference on the state level, and, and then when they were finished, a week rest, and then they had another national bishops conference. So it's somewhat like the um, Wisconsin Conference of Bishops that we have uh, centered out of um, Milwaukee and then the USCCB, so the equivalence in India. Mm -hmm. And so they're discussing, as we would have at our bishops conference here, uh, issues important to the people in the, in the pews, and they would have things important to people in the pews. Mm -hmm. oh, right, exactly. yeah, exactly. yeah. Maybe different sets of challenges than we have, but basically the same idea. How do we best serve mm -hmm. our community over here? Mm -hmm. So when you got there, did that, it's just, was this your first time there? First time to India, yes, yeah. And, and I was a little embarrassed that I hadn't been there because I've been in the mission office, like I said, since 2015. So through that, we've been in communication with, you know, the bishop's offices and the religious orders for the mission co-op program when they send missionaries in the summer uh, through the World Mission Sunday collection, all of those opportunities to look at the world mission of the church, but I hadn't visited yet. So well, a couple of years there, we had the pandemic, which yeah, tend to clip your wings <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, well, I've not been there. I'm one of these poor, well, never mind. I, I haven't gotten outside of the country very mm. much for a variety of reasons. But uh, uh, what was your first impression when you got off the plane? Uh, first of all, it's, it's a very different um, culture as far as 
the outward displays. You know, I think in, in many ways a city is a city is a city around the world. So you have the streets and traffic and you have the night lights and neon. And that certainly all was in Chennai and Trichy and um, uh, other cities that I had a chance to visit. But, um, but the culture is um, very much an outdoor culture. So there's pedestrians everywhere. The traffic, you know, has rules. So they've got lines painted on the road and they have lights. But, um, but the basic function is that you do what you need to do to get where you want to go. So, uh, you know, and there's buses and uh, SUVs and then smaller cars and then three-wheelers and two-wheelers. And it all functions like water on the road, you know. Wherever there's an open space, you just kind of fill it. So it was a, a little nerve-wracking in, in the noises of the honking horns and things like that. Uh, but I, I found all that very um, enlivening and exciting. You know, I, I never felt it in danger. Yeah. Was it, I, you know, I'm a person who I used to enjoy incense. Um, I still have some old sandalwood incense, which has now lost its scent, actually, over all these years. But uh, did, were there smells of incense and things that are going on, joss sticks or whatever they were? Right, yeah, there, there definitely is. Um, yeah, the, it, it's kind of a tropical area, so flowers blooming all the time. The sandalwood is, is very prevalent. Uh, and even, you know, the, the less savory smells, like yeah. diesel and fire burning, you know, for kitchens or whatever, that uh, those were all part of the experience. So, yeah, when you, when you go into a different um, country, those things kind of uh, attack you right away. And the food was, you know, very different. I, th I think I had gotten accustomed to some of the food uh, flavors through sharing life with the priests from India here in the diocese. So I enjoy uh, the gatherings and, you know, one-on-one -on -one and the, the different flavors of the curries and, um, uh, and different breads. India has all kinds of different ways to prepare rice flour and wheat flour. Um, but being there, it was a whole different experience as well. So I enjoyed that. Did they, uh, I, don't, I don't want to use the word honor you. I don't mean that quite that way. But was it kind of a neat thing to see you coming from the States? Or was this kind of a fairly normal thing for them? Um, it was interesting. You know, I think they do get international visitors. And, um, but their sense of hospitality is yeah. so different, you know. I, I told them that our American hospitality is, you know, welcome to my home, there's a fridge, you can have everything you want, you know, just help yourself. And, uh, and their hospitality is to go all out in service to you. So they don't even like you carrying a dirty dish, you know, sit here uh -huh. and, and all the food comes to you and it's prepared and served for you. So, yeah, I felt like um, royalty in some ways. That <laughs> When Bishop Lustecki was here, and he told this story on the air, so I think I have permission to tell it. Uh, because he was there as a bishop, they had gotten a convertible, mm. and they had put some kind of seating on top of the seats, so you were actually elevated oh. like, like a circus, like a float in a parade. Mm. And they were garlanding him with <laughs> garlands, right? And he had all these garlands around his neck. And he has an allergy. 
Oh. And so his eyes were kind of watering from all these garlands, and people were going, oh, look, the bishop is so happy he's it's crying. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he didn't say anything. He's not going to take off these garlands and say, oh, my God. Oh, right, you know, he right. was very not polite. But it was, it was a great moment where I could just imagine him on this thing going down the street, and everybody going, oh, right. <laughs> look, at how, look at how taken he is by our hospitality. Yeah, yeah, that would be it. Would be good, but it, again, you you find that the hospitality of others can sometimes be really, really nice mm -hmm. and different, and you kind of go back home and you go, oh, <laughs> why, why, why are we always backbiting each other here? Right, you know, right. it's humbling a little bit yeah. too. You know, like they they recognize um, something in the office, and they recognize something of um, certainly even faith in, in Jesus Christ. So when they receive someone, they receive uh, the, the person that we stand for, you know, and, and to feel like, oh, I'm not worthy of this, or, you know, uh, don't they know it's just me? Yeah. <laughs> you can't really refuse hospitality either. No, they you would be probably insulted by that. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. Well, the other thing is, too, is that, you know, even outside of Catholicism or Christianity, uh, People, especially even in the States, probably have heard this. As I was, when you came into the studio, I was, I put my hands together and I went, Namaste, mm. which is a big Hindu thing. But basically, it's I, I acknowledge the God in you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we all, that's, that's something that's universal. Mm -hmm. And so to start out by meeting somebody and saying, I acknowledge the God in you, mm -hmm. that puts your relationship on a certain level. You know, it's kind of like saying we're all brothers in Christ. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that tends to even things out pretty good, doesn't it? Right. But uh, it's very delightful to see that. And uh, you mentioned these these festivals that I have seen pictures only, but you're right. This is kind of like every week is at the Fourth of July. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As I arrived, um, I didn't have a chance to partake in it because it had just finished. But they they were concluding Pongal which in um, Tamil, I understand, means Thanksgiving or to give thanks. So Pongal is equivalent to our Thursday in November, our Thanksgiving celebration, mm -hmm. um, because it's the conclusion of a harvest. It's a Thanksgiving for the productivity of the earth, but it's filled with parades and they have something similar to the running of the bulls. Um, and so they threatened me. They said, we had a bull waiting for you. And <laughs> I would have had to wrestle it and tie its feet together, you know. So I was glad oh. I just missed Pongal. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> but I would have had a video camera ready. Boy, I tell you, that one would have been a good one. Uh, <laughs> but, but it spills into the streets. And yeah, the, just the joy of the people is amazing. that they, they, they can have so much joy in their hearts. And, help, mm -hmm. and not everybody is in the best of, of, of states also. You know, there's not all rich people are doing this kind of mm -hmm. thing. What, how did you, uh, the first time you went to a mass there, um, you were obviously able to follow along in certain respects, but did it have a different feel to it or did it seem very similar to you? Or how, what, what was your experience to that? Yeah, um, uh, English is kind of a binding language uh, in the seminaries and um, in the institutions of education. So schools often had the English mass as well. Um, but where it was either in the village or it was a, uh, the local language medium for the mass, uh, then, yeah, you just kind of lean into the gestures and the rituals. And uh, I always would concelebrate. So they would put me in the sanctuary and I'd have to uh, kind of follow the lead of the priests around me. 
Uh, Tamil itself is a language uh, with its own alphabet. So even when I saw the Roman Missal, there was no way I could have pronounced it. So, you know, you feel even more foreign that way. Uh, but everyone made me feel very comfortable. And uh, anytime you get together and sing songs, no matter what the language, and you praise God, there's a, a binding uh, force there too. So I, I always felt one with, uh, with the people in prayer. Before uh, Bishop Callahan picked up some Spanish, he had to go to Bolivia mm. for an event. And uh, I remember him saying, this is years ago now, that uh, you know, he's up there kind of celebrating and they're speaking Spanish. Mm. And he says, yeah, I was standing there like a potted plant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, they kind of feel that way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was very good. I, yeah. thought, I, I heard that from him. I was saying, this, this man, I like this guy. <laughs> he's, he's, he tells it like it is. Yeah, it, 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 were there any um, messages or challenges or needs that they wanted you to bring back to us to contemplate? Yes, yes, since I was wearing a, a couple of hats with a vicar for clergy and uh, director of the mission office, uh, the, the needs that the people felt definitely uh, came to me and, and no one was really shy of um, setting those forward. So, you know, bishops who, you know, like to be able to have some priests from their diocese representing them here in our diocese, uh, individual priests who uh, want to experience mission life and, you know, who would like to come uh, would approach me and uh, various projects. Uh, there were a couple religious orders of sisters that approached me and, um, and very convincing. There's so many needs. You know, one group of nuns was working with young women in the realm of human trafficking. So they're rescuing them if they have been trafficked or their main purpose was to uh, gather girls at risk and teach them preventative behaviors, how to recognize uh, human trafficking perpetrators and, and keep your distance, what to do if you get into a dangerous situation. Uh, there was another group of religious sisters that was working with, um, they called them AIDS orphans. So there were children who, uh, not necessarily who lost their parents because of HIV AIDS, but they themselves contracted mm. uh, HIV through the, the parents. And so they, the beginning of their life is with disease and you know, hardship. And so they have a residential treatment facility to give them dignity and, and to help them in their suffering. So the, so many different needs. Another thing that comes to mind when uh, Bishop Lustecki came back from India, probably the same trip that I was talking about, mm -hmm. was that he uh, met a group of sisters. And what their job was, basically, was there was a, uh, well, I won't call it a hospital. I guess you would call it an asylum for people who were um, hopelessly challenged. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, we're talking to the point where they could not feed themselves, they could not clean themselves. Uh, they, every day, by the end of the day, they would be filthy. Mm -hmm. um, and these sisters would come in every morning and clean them up mm -hmm. and get them clean clothes, mm -hmm. knowing full well that by the end of the day, the same thing's gonna happen because they, these folks just did not have the capability mm -hmm. to, to and. Mm -hmm. I remember Bishop Lustecki, this, we were getting ready to go on the air, he was telling me about this, he was blown away by this. Mm -hmm. He was saying, 
they have to deal with cleaning up these people who are just intractably filthy. I mean, mm. not, not mm. their own fault, but they, they're, they're really bad. And they clean them up knowing that the next day they have to get up in the morning and do it again. But they do it out of the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. just, he was like, I can't, I, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. He couldn't, you know, that, that what a life you would have for your entire life of service. Right, Knowing right. this is what you are going to do. Yeah, that, and I think the influence of Mother Teresa is still so strongly felt in the country because I was um, talking with one of the uh, superiors of the MSFS fathers, and he related a story to me about um, Mother Teresa's uh, funeral, that there was a British journalist who was going around interviewing those who were attending and asking, how did she affect you? And he said there was a particular man who was Muslim, and, uh, and the journalist began the question by saying that you know, Mother Teresa did so many humanitarian things for people, and she was accused of uh, then wanting to convert them to Christianity. And his response to the statement eventually maybe formed into a question was that um, people who were accused her did not understand her, that uh, when she picked up the body of a dying person off the street and brought them to the center to give dignity to the final hours of that person's life, she didn't do it in service to him. She did it because she saw in him the face of Jesus. So the Muslim man who saw in her the fact that she was acting on faith was kind of remarkable. And I think that's what continues to strengthen these um, priests, religious women, you know, who serve in the name of Christ. I do recall, again, I see these news stories and I can't remember whether they're six months ago or six years ago in some cases, but there was a little bit of time there where the government of India was trying to dampen down Christianity and general Catholicism. And I think they were trying to close bank accounts and things like that, that these, these orders had their savings in to try to get them to back off a little bit or something. It did not work, apparently. They, they, I promise, there were probably some court cases happened, and I think they resolved it by saying, okay, this is fine, but the bank must be in India, not in Switzerland or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. But there is this pressure. I don't know if on the streets of India, whether people disparage Christians or Catholics or whatever in their daily routines. I'm sure they're very much like here. Some people say, well, they're Catholics, that's okay. All those darn Catholics, you know. (laughs) What I saw um, was a remarkable religious tolerance. So, uh, especially within the Catholic schools and and the schools themselves are are very proud to say that they are um, one of the primary sources of education for those who are in service-oriented jobs, so politicians or medical personnel, you know, that the Catholic schools do form them. But the majority of the students in their schools are Hindu, and then there's a group of uh, Muslims, and then there's the Catholic students, you know. So much like the population, the student bodies reflect you know, what, what the culture is around them. But the, the schools educate everyone, you know, mm-hmm. and, and find that as a, um, a mission in Jesus to uplift their human dignity. So in the South, the education is strong. In the North, it was the missionaries. 
and they are kind of under stress from even this present government. So we live that banking change that you talked about uh, where um, we were asked we wire money pretty frequently, you know, and, and so we were asked by everyone in India universally to not wire for a period of time because they had to change over to a government-sanctioned bank account. So, um, and, and I think it was the Daughters of Charity that their accounts were frozen for a period of time, but there was such an international back cry, you know, to, uh, to see their freedom restored that then they did have access to their, their new accounts very quickly. But um, as, I, as I prepared to go, I had to get an, a visa. And the visa process uh, was very simple, very easy to do with an American passport. So uh, it's not necessarily a complaint on my part, but there were three moments where I basically had to say I was not a missionary, that I wasn't coming to India to convert uh, people to Catholicism or to Christianity. Uh, and, and in that process, um, as I arrived, would talk to uh, the priests, especially in Northeast, and, and they were very clear to say that, um, that evangelizing uh, the Catholic population was fine, that there was a religious tolerance, and, um, and so they felt free to do that. But to, uh, to look at the um, evangelization of the non-Christians you had to be very careful. So the government wanted to make sure I was not a missionary coming in to hand out gifts and win Christians or, you know. You, you uh, didn't you sneak Bibles in into your coat. Exactly. You know, things yeah. like that. <laughs> and there were stories from years ago back when there was the Iron Curtain, there were mm -hmm. Bible smugglers. Mm. Oh, and, right. Uh, you know, right, who would sneak exactly. in suitcases of Bibles and mm -hmm. things like that. But yeah, I think that, uh, well, again, once again, we have Bishop Callahan always quoting. Uh, probably a paraphrase of St. Francis about preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. even though you may not be going in there verbally saying to these people, hey, why don't you check this out? Mm -hmm. They see you're acting. They mm -hmm. see what you're doing. Right, right. You know? And then they see these kids in the school, they're, you know, Catholics, Muslims, uh, Hindus, they're, they're probably all playing soccer together. Mm -hmm. And exactly. this in itself speaks volumes mm -hmm. of, of what you're doing. And uh, and also, you're not, you're not only aiming at uh, the people who have got a lot of money, you know. Um, and there's some in real dire poverty in India. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, mm -hmm. You ain't seen nothing yet until you've seen some of those places. It's really tough. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are efforts made to try to clean things up. I mean, there were times when there were child labor issues going on and kids sorting out medical waste and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was just really rough. Um, and it still goes on. But uh, it's a, I don't know how many billion people are in that country. It's a huge country. Right, yeah, I think I was told 1.3 billion yeah. in, in the subcontinent. So it's a large country, but uh, I think it's about two-thirds the land mass of the United States. So imagine 1.3 billion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have 350 million. And how many languages do you think they, they speak? Um, in the in the south, the language territories are a little larger mm -hmm. from you know what I experienced. In the northeast, uh, there are seven states in in the northeast, and um, and there's 
so many languages, you know, one population that I, I stayed with was the Kasi, a tribe of people, and there are only three million in total. So, you know, 30,000 languages. Good Lord. You know, and <laughs> yeah. some of them related, but, you know, you can travel 80 miles and it's an entirely different language, not yeah. a dialect or, you know, an accent, but it's, and it, uh, the languages in the Northeast were codified in the, um, in the European alphabet. So um, at least you could look at a page and kind of guess at how it was pronounced, but... Um, the rest of it, you had no chance. The rest no of it, chance. no chance. When these uh, young men come over here, and they, you know, to their eyes, this place must look as totally different to them. I'm not even sure of the climate in India, how much of it is boiling hot most of the time and how much of it gets snow. I mean, I don't really know. But uh, uh, when they come here, again, you just mentioned how all the people are packed into a relatively small space. Mm -hmm. I'm looking out the, the window of the studio here and I just see hills that are mm -hmm. empty. <laughs> I mean, do they walk in here and go, maybe they didn't have a concept of vastness. Mm. I don't know, what, 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 what do you find there when you meet oh. these for the first time and they get them off the plane in lacrosse? What, what, what happens? What do they do? Right. What do they look like? What do they say? <laughs> yeah, I think the, um, the vastness is not necessarily strange because I did spend hours in vehicles and there were rice paddies and fields and hillsides um, everywhere as well. So we can hear the density of the population, but I think it's, um, you know, cities are much larger on a regular basis, but the farmland is still there. Oh, okay. So, okay. and they have villages, like we have small towns. So that's not quite the difference, but the cities themselves, um, even New York City pales in comparison to the traffic I saw in Chennai, where, you know, you can drive for miles and, and there's just people everywhere and the buildings are close to the narrow street sides and uh, it's just, it's uh, amazing, a slight miracle that there's not many accidents that happen in that environment. So they, they think of New York as being one of the suburbs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's hard to, I, like I say, I haven't been there and I just cannot imagine. I mm -hmm. think in photos I've seen just the overhead electrical wiring is a tangle. Right, right, yeah. It's, um, and, and the kind of the electrical wiring is one thing, but it, it seems like the phone system too, I know um, much of Africa kind of skipped over the landline era for phones and now everyone has a cell phone. So. Yeah, everywhere you look to, people are thumbing their texting on their cell phones or, or reading the, the latest news. So, so eventually, that technology in, is in India, maybe they're not going to see quite as many wires. Uh, right. right. A, a bird can fly from A to B without getting <laughs> stuck on one of them or something like that. There seems to be a, a lot of road construction, too, because there, yeah. there's so much congestion. They're trying to beef up the public transit. So mm -hmm. there were flyover road systems so that there could be... Um, like the underpass for the local traffic and the cities all had um, growing metro uh, systems like an elevated rail system or electric cars, you know. So, uh, but it does seem like there's there's a lot of growth going on yeah, in India. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm asking you common questions that a guy who hasn't been there would ask like, were there supermarkets? Or were there 
what, what was there? To, where do they go buy their food and where do they make their food? Are there a lot of restaurants or stands or whatever? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of small shops. So every street had um, small shops that would specialize in um, one thing or the other. So, um, for example, uh, along the way, my luggage zipper broke. And so Father Valentine had to take me to one of these small shops to get a new piece of luggage. And, you know, rather than going to Target and the the travel department, it was just one shop and uh, thin, long, um, lit up at night, you know, but we found the suitcase that I needed and uh, and it was great. So a lot of small business, probably family owned, um, that would uh, have a specialty department. But we did see some shopping malls, some uh, areas that would be more like the department stores. Um, and uh, a lot of local things, but we saw some American restaurants as well, Kentucky you know Fried it? Chicken, you know, uh -huh. McDonald's, and like, yeah. don't take me there, because uh, I want to no, try the no. Indian yeah. food, yeah. <laughs> How about uh, various and sundry, not necessarily Catholic, but maybe so, we'd like to see it, uh, little shrines and devotional areas, are they all over the place, or how does that work? They are, yeah, they're um, like, I, I said before, I think it's the Indian, inf the Hindu in influence that's there, uh, because there would be small Hindu shrines uh, in the corners of the intersections um, and multiple temples. There's hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands of temples around the whole country, and Tamil Nadu is known for its um, multiple temples, the the state of many temples. Um, but in the midst of that, then, there were also uh, shrines to the Sacred Hearts. Uh, had a chance to go to Orio, which was the site of um, the martyrdom of St. John de Breteau. He was a French Jesuit missionary who uh, was one of the first to uh, evangelize in the area, much like for us we have Isaac Jacques and Jean de Brebeuf, the French Jesuits who came into uh, North America and uh, evangelized us at the beginning. And there the, the shrine was visited by Hindus and, and Christians. And again, the smaller number was of Catholic visitors to the shrines. And then they would have the street corner little displays. There was one time where someone gave me a bouquet of flowers as a welcome, and after singing the song, then walked, and I said, what am I supposed to do with this to the priest that was hosting me? And he said, just take it with you. And as we left that in the car, he pulled off the road in one corner, and there was a shrine, uh, you know, like a road shrine that just had a simple gate to it to um, Our Lady of Valankani, one of the... Uh, biggest shrines in, in Tamil Nadu. And uh, so we just left the bouquet of flowers there for Our, our Lady, and, and that was a general practice that many people did. Hmm. Paying it forward, as it were. Right, yep, exactly. It would be interesting to see a, a society where religion is uh, even more openly expressed. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say that, for example, our number of years living in Texas, mm. uh, people of the Christian faith, not necessarily Catholic, but of the Christian faith, were a lot more open about things. Even, you know, waitresses and waiters and people like that. that mm -hmm. I, you know, praise the Lord, this is such a wonderful day, you know. Mm -hmm. I, and it, oh, it, it, yeah. it became part of the fabric of mm -hmm. the whole area. And I, I think that to see that in, a, in India, even though it would not be necessarily your particular brand, mm -hmm. uh, is still kind of interesting to see. I don't know whether we've ever had 
that much open acknowledgement of the importance of having a religious life in this country mm -hmm. in, in any one place. Right, right. Yeah, I, I do think um, we've lost even what we had. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy most in our diocese up in the Stevens Point area with the um, Polish immigrants who came in and established churches, they um, did those intersection crossroad shrines. So there's one just outside of Fancher that I visited several times recently and um, stood there on the roadside and said the rosary, you know. So there, there was a point in which, you know, we had that more public display and, you know, in memory of someone who passed, you make a, a shrine of some sort on the roadside. Um, but I think we do have to restore that. We've lost much yeah. of that. Now the only ones that you see are, are roadsides where there have been accidents. That's true, then a cross and Across flowers. There, yeah, which yeah. is a, you know, an expression. Uh, you know, I like to see people just praising God mm -hmm. other times, too, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to mourning. But uh, nonetheless, it's still something to see. Yeah, I think people are in some ways more reserved about well, I don't really want to talk about me being religious. And, right, right. And the funny thing is, is that maybe you would like to talk to some other people who also have kind of a spiritual religious background or a yearning or whatever, and you don't know where to talk to them. You don't know how to approach them. This is a really good reason to get involved with a church. Because mm -hmm, right, <laughs> guess <yeah>. what? <laughs> people who go to Mass and participate in the church activities are people like you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can talk to them, they can right. talk to you. You can learn things and you can find out really neat things going on. Yeah, that's right, where, right. so you go back. <laughs> go. Yeah, that, that, that's one of the things that attracts me to international travel as well. Just, you know, by the very nature of being outside of your culture, you are the village idiot. <laughs> and I think, you know, a much of evangelization, we don't want to appear foolish or have displayed what we don't know, mm -hmm. but that's how we grow, you know. Yeah. So if you can enter into conversation with someone, even if you don't know something, you can say, I'll look that up and come yeah. back to you later, you know. Yeah, William James' book just went into the public domain, The Varieties of Religious Experience. Mm. Now, it is somewhat dated, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, if you even cruise through it a little bit, you just get to realize how many people there are in this planet mm -hmm. who may not have the same exact belief you do, but when push comes to shove, you get along. Mm -hmm. you know, in, very mo in most cases, it's pretty good. And Boy, I tell you, I'm a little bit jealous of you, your travels there. Mm -hmm. right? now, and you've been to Casa Hogar, I'm assuming. Yes, yeah, once, and we're planning another trip this coming July. Okay, so. very good. You'll have to... Uh, bring back some reports from there. I have, I, we have a little difficulty communicating with them because of the distance. Mm -hmm. I do not know if their internet is fast enough that some of our new technology will work. Mm -hmm. I know we can do certain phone connections and things like that. But also, uh, Monsignor Hirsch and crew down there are, are busy. They are. They're very active and reaching out beyond the walls again now. They, they had kind of started relationship with nearby orphanages and increase the cooperation with the um, priests of the local diocese and then COVID shut all that down. Yeah, yeah. And now they're beginning yeah. to expand again. So. Many of you in our diocese may have gotten a letter in the mail a couple of days ago from uh, the Father Walieski Guild. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I invite you to open the envelope and <laughs> take a look <laughs> and see what they have to say. A lot of things going on down there that are just remarkable. And uh, uh, we, we try to pass as much as we can along because mm -hmm. uh, 
it's really a dynamic diocese. I just sit back going, whoa, okay, this is good. We're doing this. There's more coming up. We've got more stories planned. Our new communications director, Eric Archer, is uh, he's out there uh, what's the word? bird-dogging for me. Mm. <laughs> and he's finding stories, and he's willing to go out there to where they are and get things set up so I can do things without you know, necessarily driving out there myself. And um, as the winter is over or getting close to it, it's much better. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, this past winter was a little icy for us, so we're not. Right. Uh, yeah. And also the COVID thing, and then the flu, and all that nonsense going on. But things are improving. Things are improving. I Father, so. I, I, you know, we've actually burned up the hour talking about this. I, I'm. I really appreciate the uh, kind of a, a religious travelogue mm. that you get. Not not just who you met and what you did, but what it was like, and uh, you know what what things you saw and the. Any final comments before we, uh, we say goodbye for today? Yeah, I appreciate the, the chance to be able to relive some of the memories and uh, recall some of the places and people that I met just in conversation with you and, uh, and hope that you know, for the listeners that it does expand the identity of who we are in Jesus Christ. You know, the, the universal church is, um, is something hard to tap into on a personal level um, but once you feel that identity, then it changes your viewpoint and, and everything really about life. So, uh, so I do hope that uh, others take interest. And you, you mentioned um, Casa Hogar. I think Father Joe Walieski always had um, a sense of that uh, mission in reverse or the reverse missionary that those who uh, experience life outside the United States and then come back home, that they work a little different, talk a little different, and hopefully share uh, how that experience sh uh, has formed them in, in a way that we all become missionaries then. Changing your viewpoint towards life, I think that should be part of our theme around here. <laughs> Father, Father Woody Pace here from the Diocese of La Crosse, back from India. We will talk to you again. Very good. Thank you, Jack. Hope you've been enjoying this show with our own Father Woody Pace from the Diocese of La Crosse. You know, there was one comment he quickly made when he was talking about the optical mission that I thought was, well, significant. He said this. Most just go because they believe in the goodness of the cause and want to be a part of the help. It occurs to me hearing that, that of course not everybody can go on a jet down to Peru. And like other stories you'll be hearing, for example, next week we have a gentleman on who, after a life-threatening accident, changed his life in a direction he never dreamed he'd be going. And it's a show you don't want to miss. But it doesn't mean you have to do something heroic. It's simply helping. Simply going to your local pastor and say, Father, what can I help you with? Or joining a club or organization that does some things around the church parish or the diocese. That nothing that is dramatic, nothing that you're going to be making headlines for doing, still helps. And in some cases, just giving a smile and a, and a hi, how you doing to somebody who maybe goes through the whole day without really being noticed. Another thing that is not heroic, but can certainly change people's lives in big and small ways, is simply cleaning out your closet and your storage areas and finding useful things you have no need for that other people are looking for because they've just moved here, they've escaped a domestic abuse situation, they've had a fire, they were homeless and are being restored back to wholeness. They need things. They need TVs. They need coffee makers. They need clothes. They need shoes. Things like that. We learned a year or so ago that there's always a demand for underwear and socks at these homeless shelters. 
If you see some of these on some kind of clearance sale or something, buy them and donate them. Okay, it's not the big heroic gesture, but it will actually change somebody's life. As Father Woody said, people like what's going on and they want to help. So can you, and I sure do appreciate it when you do. Jack Sosha here with you on the final seconds of Connecting the Diocese for this week. Next week, we will be in Lent. Some special programming planned and some great stories for you to hear. So come back next week. I sure do appreciate your listening. Don't forget you can catch us on iTunes and go to diolc.org to hear this show archived along with quite a few others. We'll catch you again next week right here on Connecting the Diocese. God bless you for all that you do.